We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am your host on this audio affair. Good news for you right away. I am once again joined by my friend and yours, Dolomite Dave Martinez. We call him D2. You can as well. D2, hello to you. Hello, and good to do this in person. This is uh, the first time since, uh, sometime I think December, since we've actually been in person recording back at uh, our studio here in town. It is good to be, even though we have pasted off, we are still socially distant, but with you and your aptitude with technology, you've got us all set up that we can still be right next to each other audibly, but far enough apart, socially distant to make sure we do this in person. Yeah, that's right. And, it, you know, I, I kind of got a chuckle as you were doing your intro is because in the environment that we're in, we don't have a soundproof studio. We're just kind of doing this. And so we're still a little bit subject to the uh, natural surroundings of where we're located. So you may have heard a little bit of some, you know, music going on, some bass going on the, on the background. And even as we were recording our uh, podcast. It may have sound uh, like we were at uh, some drag strip or uh, you know Atlanta Motor Speedway because of the cars that were going by, kind of revving their engine. Um, but that's just part of being in town. That is part of being in town. Obviously, the great city of Atlanta makes this more organic. I don't know if we've upgraded or downgraded our facilities because it wasn't that long ago we had a room where we were squirreled away. We obviously had dampening pads to ensure the audio quality. But the equipment is the same, and quite frankly, this is more comfortable. You've heard me complain about the chairs we used to sit in. This is an upgrade, and just being able to look at you like this is certainly better than doing it over some kind of virtual technology. That's true. I think we're all uh, tired of the virtual Zoom, go to meeting, and whatever other platforms that are out there. Um, you know, just kind of bad lighting and not being in person, and the audio delays, and you know, you know the the Wi-Fi, internet connection, slow connection, warnings, and everything else. So yeah, doing this in person is much better. Well, the theme of this episode might be long time coming because us doing this in person, certainly a long time coming. Our featured conversation this time, as you know, a friend of ours for quite some time. And now what we would say is a long time coming to do a track and field themed episode. It got washed away last year. This year we're back. We got a great guest today. Yeah, and Ty is awesome. I mean, I got excited. I mean, I'm not really, I, I did not grow up or go to school and run track. I'm one of those late bloomers that picked up, you know, running kind of in my 40s. So, you know, knowing times and distances and especially track is very foreign to me. But listening to Ty talk, man, that just got me excited. Just being a little bit more knowledgeable around someone like him, that got me excited. Well, and it should, and this should get you excited. He is talking about Ty Akins. Ty is a former state champion in track and field, specifically in the 110 and 300 meter hurdles. He won a state championship here in the state of Georgia three times, went on to Auburn University. How about that, War Eagle, and became an SEC 
and national champion while at Auburn. In fact, you'll hear us talk about the fact that I knew from my research better than he did as the elite athlete that when he won the 110 hurdles at Auburn, it had been since 1927 since that had happened. He then went on to a professional career. It did result in more success, a gold medal at the African Championships, two Olympic trials performances, specifically in 2008, 2012. His personal best 110 meter hurdles, 13 and a quarter. Take that, even for those of you who are like D2 and I, not naturally gifted in understanding the good and the ugly in and around track and field because we did not grow up doing it. There is something for everyone. You might be like us coming to it a little bit with less experience, or you may be a student athlete getting ready for regionals, getting ready for sectionals, getting ready for the state championship. There is something here for everyone, D2. One quick question I'm going to ask you before we go to a break. When you think about Ty and what he shared with us, do you have any sense that, man, maybe we missed our calling, especially with what he said about maybe where the hurdles originated and the height of those people who put this sport out there? (laughs) <laughs> so for those you, you'll get this once we get into it but no i i'm still a short guy i still have trouble with the hurdles <laughs> i think that's the same although you said it earlier ty will get us all excited about track and field for sure that includes all of you don't go anywhere we're going to take a really brief message and we'll be back with ty akins right away at big peach running company we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner running isn't about a start or finish line it's not about time or pace It's freedom. It's a break. It's time for yourself. We take pride in listening to your needs. We make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven Metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast, long overdue, D2, those are the terms I would use to describe this conversation as we indicated in our intro. Ty Akins joins us now, a friend for a long time, but first time guest. I think we've timed it perfectly, Ty. Nonetheless, we so very much appreciate you being with us. Thank you guys for having me. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if I should be feeling a little, you know, feeling a certain way for, for taking this long for me to get here, but hey, I'm happy I'm here. Well, it's it's fair given the length of our relationship, and yet at the same time, I said perfectly timed because last year, as you well know, as a Georgia native, obviously as an elite level enthusiast and performer on the track and field circuit, it did not work out the way we would have liked to. Season started, barely got going, and then that was the end of it, understandably so, because of the pandemic. This year looks a little bit different, so we thought, we got to get it going again. We've got all kinds of enthusiasm and energy around track and field as we head literally down the home stretch of this season, and we thought, you are the person to have on the, end of the, on the other end of the mic. Perfect. I, I, and I, listen, I totally agree with you. You know, like I said, yeah, you said it correctly. You know, last year, no one predicted that the world would end the way it did, you know, yep. and then, of course, it did a, a due to the season and all of, all of the spring sports, which was unfortunate. But, hey, we're back on track this year and looks like everything is a go. So got to be some excitement around that. 
There is. And, and as everybody here has heard us say, even when we have these very specialized conversations, we believe our audience is not just those who are part of the right. high school track and field, whether it's the teams, maybe it's the coaching staff, yeah. maybe it's the booster clubs. It literally is the entire listenership because all of us yeah. can learn from some of the things that you've done. But we are going to start maybe in a pretty predictable place as we get closer to that beginning of May and everybody thinking about, you know, coming out of regionals, doing the sectionals, wanting to be at state. You, my friend, state champion when you were a junior, yep. 110 state champion mm -hmm. as a senior, two state titles, both in the 110 and the 300. It's been a few years, but it hasn't been <laughs> so long ago. I can't believe that you forget it entirely. Yep. Think about this part of the season for you back in those years when you've got a few weeks prior to when the state championships are, you've got to start getting your performance to be truly peaking, not just against that competition yep. that afternoon, but quite frankly, what you have put the entire season to achieve. And now think about all of those who are in that same position right now with a full year off where it oh, did yeah. not happen in 2020. Yep. What should they be thinking about and what should they be fine tuning as they come down this literal and figurative home stretch? So it, it's it's tricky because for me, this would be the this this was the the most exciting part of the the season for me because a lot of times you know all of the training that you do you train for this moment so mm. you train for the championship so what I've all, what I've always said is if if your season didn't start out the way you wanted it to start out meaning you didn't run as fast as you did on the front end then guess what. The actual season starts now. So this is when the season starts. So this is the important part. So you can have a, a, a bad season all the way up until regionals and sectionals and you turn a switch on and, and, of course, now your season, you had a successful season. I remember my junior year, the year that I won state, I lost like three races leading up to regionals. Wow, and that so is I'm like, awesome to hear. Man, I'm I may not be, I'm not the guy that I thought I was. Like I've lost three races and then boom, I win regionals. And so I what ran. were the things that you were doing in between that? Because not everybody's going to win a state title, right? But there are people whose best part of their season, maybe even their career, is still coming, but somehow they've lost some confidence because right. the early season didn't go that well, or some of their times aren't where they thought they would be. What are some of the, whether well, mental or physical well, and training I, adjustments? I, I don't know if I can stress this enough. Trust the process. Because I think as athletes, we're so dialed in in the weeds to looking at the day-to-day, -day, sometimes we may not see the bigger picture that the coach is putting in place for us. Mm. So a lot of times if we don't trust the process, mentally we can be like, hey, I was supposed to run this time at this meet, and I didn't, so my season is not going right. So now if you mentally check out, then you could do away with all of the training that you've done leading up to that point. So you have to trust the process, and, I, and I'm – I guess I was just crazy enough or just dumb enough or whatever the case may be that I would never over overthink or overlook look too deep into something because it was always like, okay, I had a bad race, whatever, I'm, I, I'll win the next one. You know, and, mm -hmm. and, and you got to have that short memory. You got to have that short term memory. You got to learn from any race that you, you lost. I always say I learned the most lessons from those races that I lost because the races that I won just kind of confirmed like, hey, my training is going good. My weight room, like I'm, you know, everything is going good. And I, and me winning those races confirmed that. But when I start losing a the race, then I start looking at, hey, what am I not doing? What am I missing? And I think we, we, we should, we should model that in life. You know, when th stuff's not going so right true. in life, we gotta look at, hey, 
all right, we, we tried to start this business and it didn't work. What did we do wrong? Versus, hey, we started this business and it's working good. That's just a confirmation that we're doing something right. And I look at it the same way with training, man. And so, but but to answer your question, sorry, it's a long answer, but this part of the season was such a, a, a easy part for me because everybody that you meet from here on is good. Like they are good. They are fast. So you don't have to worry about running a certain time. This is the time of the season where you literally have to worry about just winning the race. Because if you win the race, your time is going to be fast because everybody in the race is fast. So everybody that you're racing is going to be the section champion from, you know, this region or the region champion from this region or the top ranked guy in the state versus, you know, so it's going to be everybody that you meet at this point is going to be good. So you don't have to worry about I need to hit a time or I need to get this time. You, you're in the top tier of that race. You're going to hit whatever time you were chasing. So let me ask this. And I, I said earlier that this is going to have application everyone. So I love yeah. the fact that you mentioned that you learned as much from those races you didn't win or yeah. when you came up short, that that allowed you some perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise gained. And then you oh, yeah. use that perspective to get better and turn it into something that was really valuable and ultimately really successful. Oh, yeah. Knowing there are plenty of student athletes right now who have plenty of defeats, failures, disappointments in their past. Wonderfully so, really, with what you just said. How do you tactically take those disappointments and now turn it into something that you literally could use for your own empowerment in the sectional meet or maybe even in the state meet? What was it that really specifically you learned from one of those races you lost that was the difference maker in something that became a success for you. So, so one of the lessons that I learned just from, from getting beat in, in, in one specific race that I, to be quite frank, I wasn't supposed to lose, but I lost. And not only did I lose, if we didn't have, YouTube wasn't a big thing back when I was in high school, but if it was, I would have made a YouTube video. Cause I like, Oh, he beat this guy pretty bad. Like I got beat that bad. And what it taught me was to never take this stuff for granted. And I, and that's what I did. I went to the track meet. Oh, this is, you know, I'm good. I should win this easily. You know, I'm good. Whatever the case may be. And I got beat pretty bad. And I think it, it, it taught me from that day on to never take a race for granted. Never take a practice for granted. And mm. and I think from a, from a standpoint of your career, you lose, I, I, you could check my career stats. I lost way more races than I won. But at the big races, the big meets, state, nationals, sectionals, whatever the case may be, I performed my best. And I think losing a lot of races actually taught me like, hey, you better know to get this. You better get this sec- this part of the race together, this part of your warm up, this part of your nutrition. You're like, you got to get your rest. You know, all. I, and, and so I'm a, like I say, I'm a dumb guy. So I had to learn all of this <laughs> stuff the hard way. So it'll be one track meet where I didn't run as good. And I'm like, well. Man, I, maybe I maybe I need to go to bed a little earlier, you know. And then the next meet, I like, oh, I went to bed a little earlier. I felt pretty good, but maybe I need to eat better. Like I, you know, I shouldn't have ate that, you know. And so for me, hopefully, and, and the good thing is, kids these days they're much smarter than me. They're much more advanced than I was. So I think those losses kind of give you perspective on what the things that we take for granted and the little things that we take for granted. Because you got to remember, and and this for any athlete, whether you're in basketball, football, track, whatever it is. The difference between good and great are the little things. Well, and, and I love what you just said about not taking a practice for granted. Never. I think that oftentimes is easy to do for really for yeah. all of us, right? It's easy when the bright lights are yeah. on to say, now I got to bring yeah. it. The other thing I think I hear you saying is 
disappointment, of course, is a human emotion and it's natural when we don't end up performing the way or receiving what we thought was ultimately going to be the final result. But you went back and seemingly did almost what I might refer to as an autopsy on some of those disappointments or losses or where you came up short. And it might've been the nutrition. It might've been the amount of rest. It might've been some subtle tweak on the training and then committed to it. I had to. And I, and I think for me, it was one of those things. It was like a no-brainer. Like, I, this is something we, like, I have to do it. And I think once you commit to being successful, once you commit to doing what it is that you want to do. And I know for me, when I first stepped out on the track, I'm like, oh, I want to be a state champion. And at the time when I said that, it was so far-fetched because you had guys like Josh Walker that were running, you know, 13 fives and Aries Merritt and these guys running 13 six. And here I am running 15 seconds. <laughs> so... I'm like, whoa, you're in a whole nother stratosphere. Like, these guys are good. Like, you're not. <laughs> like, you are, you're doing this for a hobby. <laughs> and so it, 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 took, it took me literally, you know, basically just from ground zero and just continuing to work, work, work. Because what I do, what I do now, and I, I talk to track kids, and I always say, hey, everybody that come talk to you is going to tell you, hey, you got to work hard. And that is true. Because you do got to work hard. If you don't work hard, you just, you don't have a prayer then. But it's so much more to it than just working hard. You have to work hard. You have to be a student of the game. You have to know what you've done wrong versus what you've done right. And and that gives you a blueprint of like what you should continue to do versus what you shouldn't do. And it, and it just, ultimately it helps you get to a point where you don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff that can deter you from being successful, you know? Well, and I'm going to use the term that, that you just used to kind of transition. And this is going to be maybe as much for, for parents and coaches or those who just are enthusiasts for their, their grandson or daughter or perhaps a neighborhood, you know, young man or woman that, that you might know. You transitioned. Obviously, yep. we mentioned in our intro NCAA champion, yep. SEC champion, yep. world champion. And you took that success that eventually came in high school. Not because you never lost another race once yeah. you went forward. You've already admitted that oh, was yeah. not true. For all of us who are curious, well, what does it take to make that transition? Believe it or not, the high school track and field championships in the state of Georgia and everywhere else will be in the rear view before we know it. Yeah. But there are those kids, whether it's their senior year or not, who are thinking, and so are their parents yeah. and their grandparents and that well-intentioned neighbor down the street, gosh, I wonder if they could, may or may not be D1, may or may not be nearby, but could I run whatever my event is at that next level? Yeah. What should they be thinking about or what are some of the benchmarks maybe that you might even be aware of that need to be just stated by someone who obviously has the credibility and the background that you do? So I think, I think that's a few, a few different things. So in order to, in order to get, you know, whether it's D1, D2, whatever the case may be running at the next level, Clearly, you're going to have to hit a few benchmarks because just because track is one of those things where time is a big thing. He ran this time in the hurdles or this time in the open 400. So that initial time is going to get eyes on you. Um, Once you get to a point where you have made it to that next level, then it turns into like your career, so to speak. Mm. You, You are a student athlete. So, you know, I went to Auburn University and so they had a tremendous plan in place from academics where we had you know study hall and we had tutors we had everything you needed to be successful in the classroom you had it at your fingertips i mean you 
you think about a tutor and he's walking through the door, you know? <laughs> and so it was, it was, it was, it was one of those things that can keep you successful there, but they wanted to make sure you were successful there because they didn't want anything hindering you from track because it's so demanding because you got to remember once you get to the next level, this is your, there is no, Hey, I'm playing football in the fall and then basketball. And then we go to track. No, no, no. It's all track. So track start in September, your off season training. So that's your only sport. And you have to remember because of that, and you'll hear me say, you're him, you guys will hear me say, never taking practice for granted a lot. I'm a, that'll be something that I always say because I live by that. So because you start um, practice in the fall, everybody else is too. So you want to make sure you take that serious because by the time you get to SEC, indoor and outdoor, everybody had their fall. Everybody had hard training. Everybody, everybody has officially done everything. Like, Everybody had the same amount of practices. NCAA got plan, rules in place because of that. What would be the advantage then? So the advantage are the little things. On the days that I didn't feel good, did I come to practice and take the day off? Did I, did I didn't go as hard as I should have knowing that I could have? See, no one know that but you. See, we can go to the track now and I can run and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was, that was it. But in my mind, I'm like, I could have went harder. Mm. So for me... My career, I never ever took that for granted. I would always, and and it was, it, it was, it's a psychological warfare because I'm tired, like the acid. It's cold. It may be raining. Like it, there's so many different things that's beating down on me. But I know in my heart that I, I know I can go a little faster. I know I can go a little harder. And I would always do that. And and I think what I end up learning in the end, in 2016 when I retired. It wasn't like I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like, man, when I retire, I'm going to be, you know, sad. I'm going to miss it. I'm, you know, I want to get back out there. And, and I'm like, no, this is pretty good. I retired. Like, I'm I'm good. Like, you know, I don't even, you know, I go to track meets because I love the sport, but I don't miss it like that. I mean, well, I do miss traveling the world, but like, no, it's good. And then, and, and one of my mentors was like, well, you know why you don't miss it the way you thought you would? He's like, because you never took a day for granted. Like you never ever took a day for granted. So in your mind, there's nothing. There was literally nothing else I could have done. You put it all out there. Uh, you no put it regrets. all out there. You want so whatever level you are, whether it's high school, college, whatever level you are, you want to make sure that you put it all out there because when it's done, it's done, and you want to be able to walk away from that saying, "Hey, I gave it all I could." So I know I couldn't have done any better. I couldn't have done any better. Olympics was my dream, but I couldn't have done any better because I I, I gave it all. My, I gave it all I had. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. As a, as a parent, what I hear you say, three things that I think are, are important to call back out, and you can adjust if I've misinterpreted or if this yeah. isn't quite accurately stated. But again, knowing this has application beyond just the track, yeah. and quite frankly, probably in many aspects and oh, areas yeah. of life. But as a parent, I hear you saying, look, went to Auburn, D1, NCAA champion. Yeah. Tutors might have been available. You were still a student Student first. Athlete. So for all of you out there, yeah. regardless of what your sport might yeah. be or what your talent is, you better be pouring into the academics as Got well. Got to. Got to. Secondly, it seems like what you said is it does get harder. If you think, man, <laughs> all I'm going to do is transition my talent and have a different Ooh. backdrop for where I am deploying my talent and it's not necessarily going to get any harder. That is wrong because oh it is going to get harder. So for those of you who are like, I'd like to go to the next level, but I don't want to necessarily extend myself anymore. Yeah. That's not for you. That's listen, not the right decision. Listen, quick story on that. So as you stated before, I won a state champion, my championship my junior year, and then I won two my senior year. Three-time state champion, right? Yep. 
big man on campus. I'm that guy, right? I'm, I'm yep. the guy. This day and age, they would have said it was bullying. But when I got to Auburn, I was a three-time state champion. And guys laughed at me like, oh, this guy only won three state championships? Hey, hold our bags. Like, so there, like, I was the, I was like the least amount of state champion on the team. Like, and, and the next guy was like five. So you had guys with five and six, seven state champions, U.S. Junior National Championships, and stuff like that. And it was like, whoa. That, so that, that opened my eyes quick. Like, hey, what you done in high school? Yeah, it was cute. You won three state championships, but whoa, boy, does it reset now. And you're in the SEC. So there is, oh, my God. So that same guy, Josh Walker, Aries Merritt, those guys that I was telling you about earlier, mm. one is at Florida. He's a two-time national champion. And one is at Tennessee, and he was the, the reigning SEC champion. So this, is, <laughs> this thing has just got a thousand times harder. So even more of a reason to put your nose to the grind and literally go harder. That's awesome. Or get embarrassed one. <laughs> well, and the other thing you said, and maybe it goes hand in hand with what you said right there about, or your results are going to suggest you're not ready or didn't do yep. that incremental work oh, yeah. since you were in high school. But you said it is, it's full on, yep. right? This is no longer one of a few things that no, you're doing. No it's way. no longer a part of the year experiment. Yep. It yep. is full on all the time, every day yep. of the year. Oh yeah. Every so, day. So now let's talk a little bit about, you know, you had the success that you had in high school, transitioned it to Auburn, having that SEC championship, having the NCAA title. What is it that you formulated in high school that became part of the foundation, part of the bedrock? And you know what question I'm going to ask after that is then what did you pick up in college that you were able to marry with that? But what is it that somebody should be doing right now that if they want to achieve that level of success in whatever that next stage is, maybe it's in a career, but maybe it's also on the track NCAA, regardless of division, what should they be doing right now? Not to win a state title or have a great state championship, but if they want to do it at the next level, they need to be doing this right now because it will continue to pay dividends. I think, I think whatever it is you're doing, you have to do a few things. You have to commit, you have to take it as serious as you can take it. You have to focus on the little things. You have to make sure. I, I always use the phrase, I try to be perfect. Like, I want to be perfect. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think we should all strive to be perfect because we know we're not. But I got to get as close to perfect as I can because if not, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm doing myself a disservice because if I'm not trying to get as close to perfect as I can, I'm doing myself a big disservice. Because I could be much better than what I am now. So you didn't show up on on Auburn's campus and then have the upperclassmen who were part of the team harassing you, and that incented this chase for perfection. That started when you were still at Bainbridge. Yeah, that started in Bainbridge, and and I and I'll tell you, and it, it was it was so crazy because you know track was like a, a, a afterthought for me in high school because I started out running. Um, because one of the coaches made me run pretty much. He's like, Hey, you want to be faster for football? You run track, you know? And so it's like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And so when I get out there, it's like a joke. They, they, they still tell this joke now. Nah, well, he's not fast enough to run the hundred and he's not strong enough to run the 400. Oh, just put him in the hurdles. Well, the interesting thing about the hurdles is you literally, there's literally always something that you can work on. Like you can, you just can't perfect the hurdles because it's 10 barriers and essentially you got to do them all the same in order to, you, you got to hurdle the same way over each one in order to, you know, run a fast time. But that's almost impossible because of the race, 
there's so many other things around you. It just make it tough to do that. And so I would, I, I found myself almost being obsessed with it. And, and I, and I don't like to be that extreme, but that's what it was like on the weekends. I'm like, Hey, you guys go on to the game. I'm, I'm gonna go out here and work on this, you know? And, and, and once, and now that I look back at it, it was like, Hey, I was so committed to it. Like it was, it, I was, I was, it was a, it was an obsession, obsession. And, and I was obsessed with it and I was obsessed with trying to get better. And so the biggest difference from that until when I get, got to Auburn is so now that obsession that I had with track, it was being channeled a different way because the Auburn coaches coach, Ralph Spry, he just knew a lot more about hurdles. So you got to remember when I was in Bamers, I was just trying to figure it out. Like I'm either going to run fast over this hurdle or I'm going to fall doing it. Like it was a real, you know, cavalier way of like, hey, I'm a, you know, the objective is to get up and down quick. So I'm going to just run over it. And I fail many times. But when I got to Auburn, he's like, hey, look, you don't have to work that hard. Let's let's talk about technique. And so then he was able to bring a wealth of knowledge, which then I'm like, oh, OK. So wait, I've been doing this wrong a lot. And so then I was able to sharpen my skills because now I knew what to do. So so Auburn gave me that basically that blueprint of how to hurdle. In Bainbridge, I was just like, man, I'm just I'm just going to go like I'm just I'm green. I'm just running over, it, you know, and 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 it was just willpower. It was obsession. It was just willpower. If I fail, hey, so be it. I'm trying to run fast, you know. And so when I got to Auburn, it was able I was able to sharpen my skills. But at the same time, mentally, it was like you have to take this even more serious because everybody is literally good. So at Auburn, it's almost like. Every day you're at a state championship. Mm. <laughs> Practice it every day you're at a state championship because think about it. Every guy that I'm running with is a five-time state champion, <laughs> you know? So everybody that's on the team was the best in New Jersey or the best in Texas or whatever their collective state is, they were the best. Yep. <laughs> you know, and so if if you didn't put in the right amount of work, if you wasn't obsessed with it, you stick out like a sore thumb. Because everybody is so dialed in at one goal of winning or winning a national championship, winning the SEC championship, winning whatever the goal at hand. If you're not obsessed with it, if you're not willing to put in the work with it, you stick out like a sore thumb. So I tell kids this day and age, hey, don't even waste your time. Like if you know this is something that I can't commit with and this is it, this is for anything, whether it's, you know, a paper or what, whatever it is you're doing. If you're not willing to commit to it to a, a level of like, hey this has all my undivided attention, just don't do it. You're wasting your time because you'll do it half, you know, it won't be, it won't be, it won't be a good reflection on something that you may want it to be. So don't waste your time. I love it because when you pull back out some of these things, I can see there are people, perhaps even parents that are kind of clenching their fists or maybe gritting their teeth. It's like, man, I've heard the expression now chasing perfection. I've heard about commitment. I just heard another term that sometimes can be a little dangerous, if not dicey, if it's not interpreted properly. And that was obsession. Right. And yet there it was, you just put it all out there unapologetically. Oh yeah. And so for those student athletes or quite frankly, those who have a student athletes best interest in mind, if you're like, man, I hope that's not really the case. It is. It is. Let me remind everyone 13.25 110 hurdles at the NCAA. This is a national champion who was saying this. And yet you were the first to say everybody out there was like me. They brought (laughs) that level of talent and perhaps even commitment and obsession. And if I didn't, 
turned in times like that, I might have gotten chewed up, spit out, and easily forgotten. And you say it is embarrassed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I, I think another thing, too, that I didn't talk on was fear. So I... I, there would be points in my career, track meets and stuff, that I would have the fear of like, I've done everything right. Like, what it, what am I missing? Like, the fear before a race, the fear of the fear of. And Mike Tyson kind of talked about this too. So if you look at any of Mike Tyson, he's like the fear of like, hey, maybe this guy is better than me. Maybe he's maybe he punched harder than me. And, and and it was the same for track. Like I know I've done I've done everything right. I've every drill I've went hard in. I've never took anything for granted. Like. Is there anything that I missed? Like, did I, like, like this guy could still beat me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not an indictment on me, but the fear of losing for me had all, has always scared me to like, man, I, I got to give it all I have. Because if I don't, like, I don't want to, some of my worst losses have been when I crossed the line and I got beat and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I, like I lost that race. I didn't get beat. There's a difference. Yep. When a guy beat me, you know, I was in a, I was in a race and Aries Mayor, he run, I think, 12.95. I'm like, whew, well, yeah, hey, I lost that race, no problem. I ran the best On I my could. best day, I wasn't going to beat him. And he just ran, you know, one of the third fastest times in the history of track and field. So you, you're you not winning that day, okay? And so no problem with that. I walk off happy, you know. But on races where I know I was the guy that, that, that had that race won and I done, you know, something silly or or took something for granted and I lost, that's hard, That's a hard loss to swallow. So let me ask, ask this, and then I'll ask a question, and you were kind enough to already set me up for it. And There aren't that many people who are going to be able to look back on their athletic career and say, I won high school titles and I won NCAA titles. Yeah. You obviously are one of those who can. Yeah. Is there a difference when it comes to the level and the place when you win a championship? What's the difference winning a title at Auburn versus winning a title at Bainbridge High School? Is there a difference? You, you know what? I, I think from a scale of, and I think, it's, I think it's a complex answer because this day and age, I don't know if there is just because social media, you mm. know, and, and there's just so many different levels of like, we can pull up the high school meet with no problem. Whereas when I was in high school, you had to, <laughs> man, you had to make a phone call to know like, oh, okay, yeah, you had to really be dialed in and know who won what. But, but I will say there is a big difference because- you know, high school, high school, it was, it was, it was dialed in, you know, it was more so, you know, your high schools and we were up in Jefferson. So it was a collective. So it was all of your peers and you kind of won, but college was so different just because it was, I don't know, man, it was, it's unex, you just can't explain it because you had everybody from everywhere, all over the nation. Like the guy from USC, he was good. LSU, like so many different guys that are so good. And it just, be, it made the race so much bigger because you're like, oh, in lane one, you got this guy. He was the, you know, six time state champion. And he also won, you know, the Pac 12. And, and so everybody is bringing credentials to the race, which it just blows it out of proportion. So for you to win that, you know, the school pride. And I mean, it's just, it's just another level, man. I, I can remember when I went across the line uh, at nationals that year. And it was crazy because leading up to that race, you know, they had, it was an article. I, I forget. It may have, may have been track shark or somebody. I, I can't remember it, but it was this whole thing about does the sec has the best, do they have the best hurdlers? And um, you know, of course there were many comments. No, there's no way, you know, and they would name all of these hurdlers from, you know, the early 90s. And, you know, these statisticians are unbelievable. So they would name all of these guys. And it was like, and listen, the SEC don't have the best hurdlers. Okay. 
So we get to, and this is 2007. You guys can look it up. So we get there, and I won. I went to Auburn, SEC. Ole Miss was second. LSU was third. Um, and I think it might have been LSU was third and, and another SEC. So we went one through four. And and I remember the interview after that. And, I, you know, I'm excited. It was like, hey, you're the first national champion in Auburn since, like, 1925 or something. How 27. I looked it up in oh, my research. Oh, 1927. Okay. Good, good. Okay, so you know I ain't making this up. Good, He good. is definitely – I know you for too long to know you don't make things up. And so, and so the guy was asking me, he's like – so how do you feel, man? I'm like, man, I like I can't digest it. Like I, you know, I just raced these guys at SEC and I won there. So I won at SEC and I was happy about that. And uh, these guys beat me bad at regionals. So that's the way it goes: SEC regionals and then national. So I won SECs. Those same guys beat me at regionals. I come back and win nationals. He's like, yeah. So tell me, um, how do you feel about the the comment made about the SEC? And I'm like, well, you know, what comment? I, I, you know, I'm I'm oblivious to this stuff. And I'm like. Yeah, we. I think we just went one through three, like one through four. And I'm like, oh, that well, that's a good day for the SEC. And so I didn't want to get into, you know, the back and forth on that. But I was, it, it just kind of painted that picture to me, like, hey, the SEC is good, man. And so, to answer your question, I think it just the the the, the level and the scope of that race was just such a big deal that it was it, it was just magnified on a different level, and it was on live on TV. But that, that takes nothing away from, from state championship, too, because at the time, you have to remember, at the time, the state championship was the biggest race I ever ran in. Mm. And so to win that, it was a big deal, too, because I raced a guy, I think his name was Petway. He ended up being a big-time basketball player at Michigan, and this guy was tall as ever. And so there was, you know, just, just listening to the other coaches talk, there was no way I was going to win. And it was the same way, listen, it was the same way at Auburn. It's crazy because – even if you watched the race in 2007 that I won, the announcers, they, they called out everybody. And right before the race went up, I'm like, oh, yeah, in lane seven, uh, Tyke is, is worth keeping an eye on. And I go and win the race. I'm like, wait, I was, I'm, the, I'm the reigning SEC champion. You guys are supposed to start off on me, and then you go to the other guys. But, you know, it, it, it is that way, and, I, you know, I have no problem with that because I, I think, you know, we can't get caught up in the value other people place on us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've never been caught up in that because I always I, I know I'm a short guy for the hurdles. The hurdles 42 inches. It, it comes up a little bit over my hip. But again, the obsession that I have with it and the mindset that I have, I just can't lose. Like, there's no way I, I can't run this hurdle the same way as a tall guy. Like, I'm 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 that obs- I was that obsessed with it. And I think once we let people place those limitations on us, then we're in trouble because then they say, oh, you're too short to hurdle. Then you're like, oh, yeah, man, maybe, I mean, yeah, well, let me switch my event. I may be too short to do the hurdles. Whereas I was like, well, no, if you understand the history of the hurdles, the hurdles was made high like this for short guys. So back in the early 1900s, you got to remember the average height of guys was, what, 5'7", 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". These guys were shorter guys. I'm 5'11". So the hurdle hasn't, the hurdle height hasn't changed since the beginning of introducing the hurdles. So who were the hurdles really designed for? Shorter guys. It's just so happened that now we got taller guys that know how to shuffle in between. They take a step out of the hurdle. So they take seven steps to the first hurdle versus I take eight. You know, and all of this different stuff, which, hey, no problem, because that's not going to deter me from the way that I train and how delusional I am. And I got to get stronger. Maybe I got to get faster. Whatever the case may be, I'm going to do that to be able to compete with them. So. It's little things like that that you got to make sure you stay on top of. And that's why being obsessed with it will put you in a predicament where you won't have to worry about those things. 
See, I never worried about, oh, everybody's taking seven steps to the first hurdle. No, I'm going to still take eight because I'm, I'm, I'm faster. I can make, I can offset that seven steps between hurdle two and three because that's where the seven step guys reap their benefits. You see, and so most coaches, they think like, oh, you got to get to the first hurdle first. No, no, no. That's not why they take seven steps. No, they reap those benefits over hurdle two and three, you know. And so unless if you're not obsessed with it, though, you would just think like, oh, they take they taking seven steps. So they get to the hurdle first. No, no, no. That's not it. Dayron Robles, he was taking seven steps and and he, he would get to the hurdle first. Don't get me wrong. But you would see between two and three. It was like, wait a minute. Did he have a hurdle there or he, did he just run to the next one? It was almost like they moved to her to be like, no, 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 he's doing it right. <laughs> so you got to be obsessed with it. That's my long. That's a long answer. Just saying, being obsessed. Well, D two, he was speaking our language for a little while when he was talking about five seven, five eight, five nine. All of a sudden, maybe <laughs> I thought. And then when he was talking about how many steps the first hurdle, once again, I realized yeah. that wasn't really my calling. That somehow I missed. All right, so yeah. obviously it could be pretty predictable that if you win the NCAA's out of an SEC school, yeah. especially with the impressive time that you do on the hurdles or any impressive time in any discipline on the track, yeah. that you're going to at least consider turning professional, which you did. Heck, you even mentioned before we fire up the mic that by the time you got your contract from Nike and you were a sponsored athlete, allowed you to help buy a house and do some cool things that oftentimes right out of college or anytime maybe in our life we only dream about, ran in Olympic trials, won the African championship in 2014. One of the things that is important, I think, to note, longevity. You're winning titles early 2000. You're still doing it 2014. That's a long time for a oh, hurdler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you keep that type of longevity and well, success? Well, I think it's a few different things. I think, and this is one of the things, uh, this this is going to be a Taikens class that I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I preach to, to all track athletes is prehab. So what is prehab? It's just like, it's almost like in life, right? You know, and I, you know, most most people, whether you believe in God or whoever you believe in, most people, they go in prayer when stuff go bad. Like, oh, God, help me. Please get me out of this situation. Well, what about when things go good? Do you, you know, do you still like, hey, oh, thank you. You know, whoever you, whoever it is you pray to, like, yep. do you think in the good times or or just a regular time? Like, oh, man, man, I'm, I'm feeling good today. Thank you. You know, and so prehab is that same notion. So what is prehab? Hey, I go to practice today. Feel good. Everything's feeling good. Let me go in the training room just to make sure. Let me either whether I need to stretch, whether I need to ice, whether I need to stem, whatever it is, it's prehab because I'm just making sure everything is flowing good. It's almost like, hey, I don't need to, you know, change my oil when I see the oil light come on. Like, hey, I know I'm getting close to it. Let me go ahead and change it, you know. And so I've always stressed prehab. That's the difference between a long and a short career. Wow, also, the, 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 the process of, of cooling down, warming up the proper way, that's the difference between a long and a short career. Because you got to remember, when we're young, we can, you know, not cool down or not scratch and boom, we're popping, we're good to go. The more and more races you get, the more and more training you get under your belt, the older you get, like those things are the most critical things. It's just like with, with a car. Older car, you got to crank it up and let that thing he, run he's for He's talking to us again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, versus a new car, you, I mean, you know, you crank it up and you do everything you can do in it, you know, but, but it's that same notion. And I think I've always been critical, oh my God, very critical with that kind of stuff. And I've, I've been kind of lame because of that. Like stuff, the activities that most guys do that I wouldn't do. Bowling, for example. When I would go bowl, of course I'm not a I'm not a guy that know how to bowl, so I'm just throwing the ball down the, 
down the lane. But when I would do that, I would feel it in my groin. So I would never go bowl. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll go watch y'all bowl, but I'm not doing it. I feel it in my groin. Like, <laughs> I was so in tune with my body. I wouldn't do anything that I would feel something in my legs or whatever the case may be. So I think prehab and taking care of your body and, and warming up and cooling down properly is, is, a, is a big deal. And I think that's the difference between a short and a long career. That's awesome. It has relevance to so many yeah, of us, regardless absolutely. of whether we've ever won a title absolutely. or not, or just quite frankly, trying to get the most out of our absolutely. fitness routine right that now. That is the little thing. That's a little thing. Those are the little things. And yet they yeah. matter a lot. Absolutely. So let's touch on one thing still connected to your career before I, I take us in a slightly different direction. Yeah. The reality is, and you mentioned it relative that, gosh, I you know would like to make an Olympic team. You did 2008 yep. and 2012. See, yep, yep. So you were part of two yep. different Olympic trials. That never happened. There are going to be yep. more you know, young men and women who, quite frankly, don't win a state title, maybe don't even get out of sectionals to go yep. to state, than there are those who do or do win yep. state titles. Certainly for those who are thinking about college and even those who eventually get to run in college, they may or may not be part of that team for the full two to four years. They may never win a title, whether right. it's conference or certainly at the level that you did. So it's not like you've never had disappointment. You already said, gosh, I would have liked to have made to an Olympic team. Oh, yeah. For all those you know, student athletes who are going to conclude this season, without that particular distinction that they maybe started the season yep. thinking about, what's the best way to manage that as it relates to the rest of your life and still prospering from yep. the experience? So the, the, the easy answer is, so there's, there's two ways. So if you, if you started out and you had goals and aspirations and you didn't meet it, but you gave it your all and you fell short, you learned a valuable lesson. And that lesson is, hey, we can work hard. We can give it our all and still fall short. People do it every day. I mm -hmm. did. I done it. I did everything right. Literally everything right. Four years leading up to the... In 2008, I was, it was a long shot for me making the team. I was, you know, I was good to be in the finals. I won the only collegiate guys in the finals. So that was a big deal. Nike was like, hey, this is this guy's going to be good. Right on. 2012 was more of a realistic chance. And I, you know, I made it to the Olympic trial finals again, but I failed. So I did everything right. Everything right up into that race, and I literally failed. But I failed in an attempt to go a lot faster than I've ever went. And it was just, it was unfortunate for me because I'm a short guy, and it was raining, the ground was wet, my heel touched, I failed. So, so it's part of what you said earlier, that you had nothing yeah. to look back on to think no, I could have no, done no, something no. different. You left it all I couldn't out have there. done anything different. So to those kids, if you had aspirations and you fell short, and you gave it all you had, Hey, you can hold your chin up and, and, and that will, you will more than likely be successful in whatever it is that you're doing because you know the work that it takes to put in. And you also know that, Hey, it may not even work, but I got to make sure that I put my best foot forward because if you don't, you don't even know your full potential for the kids that may have took, took it for granted, may not have took it as serious, but in the, in the end you found that, man, if I would have done a little bit more, I could have had a little more success. That's a critical lesson that you learn moving forward because now you know that, hey, whatever it is I'm doing from here on, I got to make sure I put my all into it because if I don't, I'm going to feel that same way. I'm going to have that same, you know, disappointment where, you know, I'll look back at it like, man, if I would have just, if I would have just done this, I could have been, I could have made it to state. Well, yeah. and I think that that's an important reminder, especially as we get into adulthood and where these yeah at least the level of competition yep. isn't as readily available. Disappointment, again, I think it's part of the human experience. Yep. But being derailed 
from it is a different, and we've all seen it, sadly, maybe it's even in our family or our neighborhood where somebody had a disappointment and it was just a complete derailment. And you're just like, that could have been avoided. And how? I'm not suggesting this is the way it always is to avoid it. But if you can look back and say, yeah, it was disappointing, but I did everything I could, didn't get the result I wanted, but I'm not going to let it derail me because I put it all out there. Let me ask you this, Ty, and I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. You know, this past year, you know, we look at, in fact, D2's wearing his, you know, what we look at, we run on, we run as one united T that we did last year, racial equity, especially in our home state. You may live in Alabama currently. I still consider you a Georgian given where you grew up. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome to hear. And, you know, we think a bit about, you know, Mr. Arbery and, and what happened and ultimately what we've seen. Thankfully, as more awareness and quite frankly, much more action, but never enough, it seems like, has come to the forefront. Oh, yeah. You're black. You've been around track and field, but really now the sport. And I'm going to ask you a question about, you know, your career and some things that have to do with your professional existence, not just your elite level status as an athlete. Where are we today? We're now in second quarter, Mm -hmm. 2021. Where are we? What's it like to be black in and around the sport of running? And where are we both as an industry or perhaps as a sport and where do, where do we go next? When I talk next in the very near term, not just aspirationally. I think, I think we are, I think we are in a, in a much different place because you have to remember these race, racial things are one of those things like most people are oblivious to it. And you know, we're, you know, you'll have people crying out like, Oh, that was, that was foul. That was foul. That was foul. Well, when you see something like Mr. Arbor, when you see what happened with that, a lot of people are like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. This is like, you can't turn a blind eye to that. Like you're talking about a guy literally just, you know, a guy literally running, get cornered, you know? And so that was something where just the, not even, not even from a racial standpoint, just your novice guy that's just watching note can look at him and be like, oh, wait a minute. That's not right. The George Floyd thing. Mm-hmm. Like when you just a, just a normal person looking at that. And I know that has nothing to do with running, but just a normal person looking at that would be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like that doesn't seem, <laughs> that seems a little excessive. Like, oh, wait, the guy, like that was, that was crazy. That doesn't seem right. And so I think with situations like that, when just the, 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 the novice or just the normal people, because I think what ended up happening in these racial things is the average white person get feels some sort of like oh i look at you as if hey all of you guys are the same and that's just not how it is in the world like mm. none of us is all the same like i i always use the joke like no not all black people steal like i was raised in a house where we my we can't we despise thieves like I, and i'm black so you you have these preconceived notions of like oh this guy does this because he's black or this guy does this because he's white or whatever the case may be and i think for us, I think the, the more and more that we understand that everybody is not the same, like people, you have white people that can genuinely look at a situation like, wait, that was racist. Like, why would they do that? Like, why would he like, no, that was racist. Like, why would you do that? You know? And, and so I think those things are now starting to come to the forefront. So I think we're making we're making we're making positive strides towards that, because I think in the in the past has been one of those things where. You know, you a, a white person may see something that was going on, like man, that's you know that's messed up. You know, that wasn't that wasn't right. You know, and 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 they they'll have to live with that. Like, dang, that was crazy. Like, that wasn't right. 
And, and you know, as, as the black guy, you're crying out for help. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, they just crying wolf or whatever the case may be. And sometimes they do cry wolf. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's something we have to address as well. But I think at the same time, I think the more and more people are starting to see, like, hey, wait a minute, that was foul. Like, call foul, foul. Like, we don't need to dress it up anyway. And that's on any side, black or white. Mm-hmm. Foul is foul. You, if you're foul, you're foul, and we need to ha- handle it the way that we handle it through law or whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, if we look at history, when you look back at history, Martin Luther King, right, when he marched across Selma, you know, he had white people with him. Yep. And I think what we miss so much is like, hey, like we, you guys do know we need to do this together. Like this isn't a a one sided type of thing. And I think when when we look at the stuff that happened in the past year, and you look at all of the protests and the march and all of that. What I and, and I'm you know, I'm a guy, I'm I'm black, of course. I love all of the you know, the protesting and all of that. I usually the way that I try to help society is I try to help the youth. I try to get them to think a certain way and think outside the box. So that's my that's my commitment to helping this whole process. I'm not the guy, I'm not gonna march down the street. That's just not me. I'm 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 trying to help the youth or whatever the case may be. But when I look at the marches and, and all of the protesting, it was so crazy because you see a, a sea of white and black and it's so it's it's just not a it's just not a black thing because you got to remember in order for this thing to get better it's going to take everybody it's going to take white black asian whoever to say wait a minute that's not right like wait a minute this guy and and i think with the with the ahmaud arbery thing running is the most free thing that you can do I mean, I, it doesn't matter where you are. You can literally, we can go wherever and you could park anywhere, get out your car and literally go run. And for, for this guy to be running and, and, you know, cornered, followed. And it was, and, and as the, it's crazy because as the stuff keep coming out about the case, you like, wait, like they really, like they literally followed this guy. The, you know, the cameras record. When I first saw it, what, 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 what blew my mind is, I put myself in these predicaments. So if I'm riding in a car and I'm filming this and you see a guy get shot, you're like, oh, you know, I would be like, whoa, these guys, when you look at these guys, like, boom, he shot him and like, oh, okay. You know, like it was, they knew, like, it's it's almost like they knew this was going to happen. It was crazy to me. But I mean, to answer your question, though, I think the, the more and more we do this stuff together, that's the only way, that is the only way that we can, that's the only way that we can progress. And I think we're progressing fairly well than we've done in the past, but we're, we're doing better. Well, and part of the, and it's interesting, of course, because when we think about Ahmad Arbery, it's easy to say, well, it kind of mobilized or maybe even galvanized oh, yeah. the running industry or those who like to run a little bit because yeah. of the activity transpiring as yeah. part of what, you know, we know yeah. now. You don't know. mess with runners. <laughs> However, in my estimation, yeah. and you can comment, including vehemently disagreeing with me, the potential power and there are plenty of people who walk into our store, wear the yeah. brand you now represent, yeah. who would never consider themselves a runner, which yeah. is awesome, right? Yeah. We don't need somebody to say, I'm a runner, right. and okay. put that badge on right. to be considered part of who Big Peach Running Company right. aspires and absolutely yeah. loves to serve. And they don't need to be that person to proudly wear yeah, exactly. the Saucony brand, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. There are so many people, more so than ever yeah. right now, who are walking, yeah. who are running, yeah. who are hiking, who are engaging in what we call a pedestrian active lifestyle. And if we said, well, if we just get to 100% of people who somehow this year decide by design they're going to go for a walk or a run yeah. or a hike and they 
are more aware and they're more forward thinking, that's an unbelievable place to start oh, yeah. in this country because we have real scale. We have big numbers on our side. Huge numbers. And that's to me is the real beauty of why the running industry, why run, walk, why what we call a pedestrian active lifestyle has no other choice but to get involved. They have to. Any advice that you would give me, give D2, give Big Peach Running Company, or give this, what we would call lifestyle, to go forward with that can make a difference in 2021? I think, I think you guys are doing so many good things. I, I, my advice to you is keep on the path that you're doing because you guys, you guys are so inviting, so informative. So it's unbelievable. Like, I, you know, and I'm a rep. So I look at it from a standpoint when a customer, when a, when a guest come into you guys store and it's, I don't have a clue about running. The people are so, it's almost an excitement. Oh, well, let me show you this. Let me teach you that. Let me, and it's almost like, you know, the, the, the wall that we have up is like, I don't want to go anywhere and look like a dummy or I don't want to <laughs> go anywhere and not know, you know, so let me Google this so I can go in and speak the language, so to speak. And, and, but, but it's not that when we come in, when, when, when guests come into the store, it's such a, meet you where you are type of type of relationship it's just it's 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 a it's a joy to watch but i think you know continue to do that and i think you know like i said before with the with the with the with the racial thing man if we continue to just work together and not only that you know situations like the mart arbor just the, the, the a normal person can look at that and say wait a minute that doesn't look right like there is i i know we need to get all the evidence i know that but just what I just saw, this doesn't look right. And with the story that they told us, this doesn't sound right. Oh, he was going in some um, new construction house. And I'm like, oh, I, I told my wife, I'm like, wait, we would have been shot a long time ago. Because, you know, in the process of buying our house, there's a lot of new houses that they're, you know, new bills. Mm. Our house is a new bill. And we would go out there all the time and look in the other house. We walking in, you know, it's wow. just the bones, you know, it's just, but, but everybody do that, you know. Right. And, and I'm like wait a minute so he can't do that like what what is he what is what what, what was he stealing from those houses like two by fours or two by eights or something like a guy jogging out like i mean so it it, it didn't make sense on it on its face um it, it just i don't know it just didn't add up but i think because it didn't make sense because it didn't add up because it was such a you know asinine thing to watch i think most people that just most regular people average joes were like wait a minute that was wrong and I think the more that we can get to a place of not necessarily picking sides, but just right is right is wrong, wrong is wrong. I think we'll be, I think we'll be in a much better predicament. And I'll tell you this, my mother, she, she would always be that one that will be like, you know, the school will call and say, Hey, Ty did this in class. And she'll be like, yeah, he did that. I know him. He did that. It was never a like, no, my baby would never do that. You know? And then I get home like, yeah, I'm on, I did that. She's like, okay, well, I went to bat for you. It was like, no, he did that. So do whatever you need to do with him. And that taught me like, hey, no, right is right and wrong is wrong. And I think we got to take that same approach. It, it doesn't matter the color. You do wrong, then there's a, a consequence that comes with that. Black or white, doesn't matter. You do wrong, there's a consequence that comes with it. And, and we should do it accordingly. Because if you don't, then it brings all this other stuff, all a cover up and and oh, maybe they're giving him, you know, the benefit of the doubt, or they're giving him special treatment, and so you don't want to even interject that kind of thing, because why would you do that? And now you're you're losing the trust of the people, and you you know where that goes. That leads to all kind of other foolishness, and it just puts more of a wedge into the divide. 
So I think right and right, right is right and wrong is wrong. So I think we should approach it that way. Well, certainly I, I agree with that. I'm going to ask this not as an elite athlete or even a business partner of ours, but truly as a friend yeah. that you observe what we do organizationally. Heck, I could say it about D2 yeah. or me individually, and I hope that you will be accountability partners for ours, be guides to oh, yeah. us to some degree and perhaps speak into what we're doing either, you know, somewhat poorly or maybe even well with some encouragement to keep doing it because we know we don't have it all figured out. Oh, we yeah. do want to see improvement and be part of progress. We feel like we have a unique opportunity oh, yeah. for that to be the case. But seriously, man, I am asking you not to hold back, whether it's ideas right. or quite frankly, constructive criticism, you bring it as a friend, not you know as a business it. partner, not you know as an elite athlete. All right, what I would be remiss if I did not do, obviously you are a business partner of ours. One of the things I love, D2 and I are kind of geeks around personal growth and leadership development and what have you. You've got this awesome background as an elite athlete. We're talking about this on our track and field episodes. We've talked about the times, we've talked about the titles. But now where we get a chance to work with you, obviously with our business partner, with Saucony, part of Wolverine Worldwide. Now, if you think about the simple fact that, you know, you're a field marketing lead, you obviously have an influential role in this key brand for us. What is it that you've taken from your time, whether it's as an an elite athlete or as a track and field? participant that you're like it makes a difference even today when i'm putting it all out there professionally not necessarily athletically it's that same approach it's that same approach of of being obsessed with success so i want to be successful i want to be successful success is my drug so i try to (laughs) do all i can to make sure that i'm successful and what is successful so you have to remember there's so many levels of success So as it pertains to Big Peach, I got to interject myself into the way that you guys operate in business and I operate as you operate. So when I'm in a Big Peach store, I'm trying to be the best Big Peach employee that I can be. I don't want a guest to come in and say, oh, that's the Saucony guy. No, I want a guest to come in and say, hey, where's your manager? Let me tell the manager about this guy, the the, the guy that's working out there. And then the manager's like, whoa, wait, what guy? Oh, oh, that's our Saucony rep, (laughs) you know? And so to me, that's a big success. And so I think the, the way in which I approach this, 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 this role is the same way. I try to focus on the little things. I make mistakes. I do. And I, I think, you know, just being brand new to run specialty, there's so many mistakes to make. And I, and I think I try to get better on those. But I, I, first off, I try to take care of people. You, you know how I operate. I, I'm, I'm not the shoe geek. <laughs> so I, when I go in stores, I try to learn as much as I can from you guys. But but at the same time, I try my hardest to take care of people, whether it's taking food to, to Jason and the crew over at Brookhaven or, you know, taking food to, you know, Fernando and the crew over at Decatur. Like, I try to make sure the people know that I'm taking care of them. And, and, and even when I'm on the floor, I try to do that as well. So I try my hardest to, to be an extension of you guys. And I think for me, if I do that, that will make Saucony business flourish like no other. Like socking business, and don't tell my managers this, but I try not to even <laughs> this focus is just on between us. Yeah, this don't worry us. about these yeah, microphones yeah, yeah. meaning anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't focus on socking business. Like I don't go into the store like, oh, I need to sell socking, because I think when I go in the store, the way in which I can talk about socking, this customer know like, oh, he's confident in socking, so I don't have to push socking down a customer's throat. I can go in and say, hey, these three shoes I brought out. The first one is a socking uh, endorphin. This is you know. I can tell them all the specs on this shoe. Then I'll show them a few other shoes. And, you know, chances are they're going to pick the endorphin because of how passionate I was about the endorphin. 
But I don't need to go in the store and be like, oh, hey, I'm going to push this endorphin down the customer's throat. Because what did that, what, that does socking a disservice and it does big pizza disservice. Because if I push any shoe down a customer's throat, then what are they going to do? They're going to return it. So that does big pizza disservice. But also knowing the way that a guest think and the way the consumer think, they won't say that was the wrong Saucony shoe for me. What do they say? Oh, I can't wear Saucony mm. at all. So now so I lose that customer forever because they like, oh, no, last time I put that Saucony on, it hurt my foot. <laughs> and so so, so I, you, you have to always think about that. Selling Saucony is great, and that's my job. But I, the, the, the approach in which I do it is it takes a little bit of finesse. <laughs> and I'm that guy. I'm Mr. Run for Good, so I have that finesse. But I do that also to show... And it's, and it's almost from a, a level of respect as well, because when I'm working the floor at any of the stores and, and Fernando and the crew, they'll tell you it's a different level of respect because I have no problem pulling other shoes. I'm confident in that, you know, but I'm also very confident in my shoe, you know. And so, I, you know, I just look at it from that standpoint. Well, the thing that you say that I think connects so wonderfully to your background is that habit that oh, yeah. student athletes are forming right now of yeah. commitment. Oh, yeah. Of being obsessed with what they're pursuing, that has continued to pay off for you. You have to. You know, five plus years yep. after your professional existence yep. and winning, you know, world yep. titles and national championships, yep. that is still paying dividends for you. And yep. I will say this, and I'm not just saying this to blow sunshine in your direction. And to some degree, you could say, well, these phrases, if not yep. cliche, at least are overused. And that is lead by example. Oh, yeah. That is servant leadership. Yep. You are the embodiment of that in and around our universe. I can't speak for what you're like when you're in other accounts or in other markets, but I can tell you with Big Peach Running Company, it is truly on full display. And if nothing else, (laughs) thank you for your time today and allowing me to be able to sit and say publicly, Thank you so much no for problem, what no you problem. do. No, big because deal coming it, from you. It, well, my goodness, I can tell you <laughs> it is one of those things that we talk about behind your back. Good, you good. Are, yeah, and it is all <laughs> I like good, that kind friend. of talk. I like that kind of talk behind my back. But yeah, I, I think if, if, if you have opportunity to put a foot forward, why not your best? Mm. You know? And so for me, I just, I just can't see me doing anything halfway. And, and you know that with, with some of the group runs, events, every, everything that I do, I try to do it to the fullest extent. And I, you know, I try to get the best this and the best that, whether it's food, whatever it is. And you know this, this is how I operate because I think it reflects everything. It reflects me, it reflects Saucony. So when it, when, when we, I, I'll never forget Trisha. And you can and you can ask her this if you think I'm making this up. The microphones are back on, right? Right. So right. she can validate so, this. So Trish, uh, she was like, "Oh yeah, we're doing a group run." She's like, "Oh, Sockney's doing it," and, and and just for her to say, "Oh, Sockney's doing it," it was like like a validation. She's like, "Oh no, this is gonna be official. Sockney's doing it. Like this isn't gonna be your your run of the mill group run. We're not gonna make Sockney, it up as we go." Yeah, Sockney's doing it. This is gonna be good, you know. And so so that kind of stuff to me is validation of like. Okay, I may be doing something right. I may be doing a few things right. So you're doing a lot right, for sure. Well, and as we go to a break, let me say this: it is truly a a privilege. It's an honor to call you a colleague and a friend. Well, you got me. Y'all better get ready because I'm in for the long haul. Right on. That is good (laughs) to hear. What is not going to be long is this break. D two and I will be right back after this brief message. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet 
previous injuries and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCo.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. He gets me amped up. We said at the onset that that's not in our lineage, but what is going to become part of our future, perhaps? Olympic year? Absolutely. Lots of enthusiasm for this year's Georgia State Track and Field Championships. I'm more amped up, and he just has this infectious way of making maybe everyone more interested in track and field. You too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, having, you know, previously watched Olympics or even track meets on TV, you, you, it's always been sort of kind of in the background because I don't truly understand the mechanics. It's like, okay, someone ran it really fast. Okay, the fastest person won. And so <laughs> to me, I'm not a stats guy, so I don't really know what times and what's a fast time or not. And hurdles for me was something I could never do and didn't really understand it. But listening to Ty talk about it and talk about the form and the, the different intricacies of what goes into performing the hurdles got me really excited because now I feel like I'm a little bit more knowledgeable about it. And there's things now that I want to watch and pick up because of what he said, certain things with the arm movement or the legs or the hips and the form or, or you know, someone that's running so fast that it looks like they're almost going to fall over. And that's a sign to look out for, for, you know, really a breakout type of performance and just all these little things. I'm like, going, I'm like Oh, wow. It's like now, now I'm interested. Now I'm like, I want to watch and pick these things out and maybe, um, you know, become a little bit more invested in that event because I have a better understanding for it. So now I'm looking forward to the Olympics um, because of that. And we joked off mic and, and said we should bring him back. And I'm like, well, let's bring him back for, you know, as we lead into the Olympics, he can give us a little bit of insight as to who we should be looking out for, both on the U.S. team and maybe internationally, um, sort of kind of like a pregame to the track and field with someone that truly is uh, an expert and understands it. Well, and he does understand it. You mentioned off mic. He obviously, while we were having the conversation, on air talked about the number of steps either at the onset or in between hurdles when d2 and i sat with him here in our studio he talked about arm placement and arm movement he talked about hip placement and how pivoting the hips can make all the difference in the world he talked about how high over or if you graze the hurdles and how that can impact he talked about a clip step he talked about things that we were hearing about for the first time D2, I'm going to ask you whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. I know that in the Olympics anyway, I mean, that race, the 110 hurdles, going to be over in perhaps less than 13 seconds, certainly less than 14. It doesn't make any sense to watch it in slow motion because I can tell you now, knowing what he shared with us, I don't want to see it over in 13 seconds. I want to see each hurdle and each athlete and their form as they go over it 10 times making their way to the finish because there's so much more to it than I ever had any idea. Well, yeah. And I mean, I do think that, you know, or at least I hope that as they, they show it, you know, they do a replay and they do show it slow motion. But on top of that, I hope that it's on YouTube where you mm. can slow it down and someone does slow it down and breaks it down and helps you understand a little bit more about it. 
Awesome. Well, understanding more about certain things, that is our responsibility for you. It is our promise to keep doing that every two weeks. For now, we will say once again, thank you to Ty Akins for all of his enthusiasm. Man, so much fun. D2, once again, thank you to you for all that you do for this. And most importantly, certainly most enthusiastically on behalf of D2, and I believe probably Ty and any featured conversation we ever have, Thank you to our listeners for being part of this. You allow us to do some things that we enjoy so much. And that includes telling you we'll be back in two weeks, asking you to join us once again. And of course, in the meantime, suggesting that, yes, like always, may your best miles be those covered on foot. So long, everyone. 